So peace. So as I titled my sermon and as I thought through it, the first thing that came to mind is peace. This means war. And that's where we're going. So the focus sermon today will come from Matthew 10, uh, 34 through 39. And I'll read that first and then we'll get into it. So Matthew 10, 34 starts with, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So in this season that we call Advent many times, I pray you are taking the opportunity to reflect on the anticipation for and the arrival of Jesus Christ the Messiah, because that's what it's all about, is it not? And while this tradition of Advent, it, it only originated probably as early as the late 400s, it means nothing if you are not intentional in reflecting on the why of the season. It's just, just a habit, and we don't want that. We reflected on joy with Lucas. We heard about how and the why we have hope from Kyle Smith. Thank you for that. Today, we're considering peace again. And Matthew 10, probably not the most common Advent peace verse out there. Um, however, I hope you'll stay with me to the end and see how and, and why we're reflecting this way today. So since Matthew is our focus verse, um, it would make sense for us to start in Ezekiel. So let's go to Ezekiel, chapter 13. Now we're going to lead a, read a selection from Ezekiel 13, and, and it should be up there, maybe. Um, maybe not. Cool. There we go. So we'll, we'll read a selection. So starting in Ezekiel 13, 3, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets! who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. So why do we start there? So in context, what have we been studying prior to Advent? Daniel. And what was Daniel about? The exile, right? And what did some of the people do prior to the exile? Some of the false prophets of Judah, right? They said, oh, don't worry about that. So Ezekiel is speaking to them in these verses. So going to six, they have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them, and yet they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. So why are these false? Why were these? Why is Ezekiel sharing this? Okay, they're false for several reasons. Primarily, first and foremost, they weren't from God. These promises were not from the Lord. And under the presumed authority of the Lord... They were declaring the result of a future event, okay? 
It's probably one of the earliest examples of this name it and claim it nonsense, right? Oh, we don't want to be exiled and defeated. So we're going to claim that the Lord wants victory because the Lord's cool. And he'll honor our wishes, even though that's not what he said earlier. That's not how it works, okay? They were expressing their preferred outcome, ignoring the true word of the Lord that had already been delivered to his people. If I may be so bold, and since I'm up here, I'm going to anyway. In essence, these false prophets, just like false prophets do today, declared the word of the Lord to be garbage and not worthy to be trusted. Because any time that we say something that is not from the Lord or goes against what he says, we're saying it's wrong. They may have not used those exact words, but that's indeed what their actions portrayed. And did God go, oh gee, maybe I should rethink things <laughs> so everybody likes me? No. What did God declare? It's in the book. God declared that he would be against them. And what does that mean? What's another way of saying that? God declared war. Okay. This is not, oh, I just don't like what you're saying. God declared war. As we go to verse 10, and we see this precisely. Because they have misled my people, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain. And you, O great hailstones, will fall and a stormy wind break out. And when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, where's the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. Does that sound fun? Does not. So how are these people misleading the people? How are these false prophets? They promised peace through a victory over the enemy. But that very enemy, the Lord had declared to be his instrument to do his will. Okay? And because the message of the false prophets sounded better than the truth, at least to them, many people were misled. However, the people were not without complicity in this defiance of the Lord. Okay. The people had heard the truth from the Lord's prophets. They just didn't like it. It didn't fit what they assumed should happen. It didn't fit what they wanted. So they placed their hope in the men and the words of this world because it sounded better to their ears. They rejected heavenly truth and guidance for the temporary warmth of selfish desire. They assumed that if they claimed what they wanted was in alignment with the nature of God, that it would be done. Which kind of leads to me, at least to a, a fair question, shouldn't we seek to be in alignment with God? Yes. Yes, we should. <laughs> Pretty simple. That was a yes. Anyway. We must remember, however, there's always a, a must remember or a but, that to be in alignment means to seek alignment with his will. Okay? 
with what he has declared in the manner he has declared it. His way is the only way that is true and correct. It is the only way that leads to eternal communion in his presence. It's his way or no way. It's that simple. And so if we jump then back to Ezekiel, verse 14, Lord continues, And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I spend my wrath upon the wall and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash, and I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it. The prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Lord God. God is not, in this, these verses, declaring or describing a little swat to the hiney, to these prophets, right? Or a timeout. You're going to the timeout corner, false prophets. That's not what he's saying. His wrath takes the lies and those that spread them, which did lead others astray, to total destruction. He will say the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it. That describes, at least to me, complete and total victory over his enemies, those that would deem to stand against him. No more means no longer existing. No more is final. God does not do anything less than. And for you English majors, yes, it's a dangling participle. That's okay. God does not do anything less than. So we're tracking so far. Peace, this means war. So let's move forward in Scripture to the Psalms. Okay? Flip your Bibles or move your phones. The Psalms is, is lots of poetry and, and singing, uh, and it's to and about the Lord. Uh, many of them reflect the writers, and how they were viewing their life at the time. They were writing these and penning this poetry in response to the Lord and, and how they felt and what they saw. Um, and I find it, for me, um, and I know there's another Marine out here, a few of us, I want to start at Psalm 29, which is funny because every time I see Psalm 29, I think of 29 palms which is where we do training, especially for what we call a combined arms exercise. And you'll see why it, it, it strikes me that Psalm 29, uh, because David is describing destruction, and he's describing it in the midst of a storm. And if you've been to 29 Palms and ever done a combined arms exercise, you've seen destruction <laughs> as all things are brought to bear to a target from the air wing on up to the infantry. It's crazy. But it's total. It's designed to completely remove the objective from the board, right? So that's where we're in Psalm 29. David is writing because he's, he's expressing this overwhelming truth that he sees uh, in this storm. In, in all of God's creation, David shares this with us. So starting in verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord... 
O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. For those of you keeping count, that's 18 times we referenced Jehovah I Am. And that's who the Lord is. So we're called to give Jehovah I Am the honor and glory he is due in this psalm. Not because he needs it. He doesn't need it from us, okay? Far from it. God requires nothing from us because he is complete in all ways and all things. He lacks nothing. Instead, we are invited to praise what is truly worthy of praise. The only being who is worthy of our adoration and devotion. God's glory and might are unparalleled, unchanging, and forever. So when we seek peace today, we can be led astray by physical safety, to have shelter, enough food, health, etc. But physical security is fleeting. How many communities across the globe have mistaken physical security for the peace of God? Is that not the foundation of that whitewashed wall the false prophets of Judah constructed? That God would defeat their enemies and give them physical security. That's what they were promising, and that's what the world will promise us. You do this, you'll be safe. But consider the power of the Lord described in the psalm we just read. Was his power partial? No. All right. It's not. His power is a power that reshapes the very ground, that knocks down the strong trees. A voice that is heard across all the waters... His voice is all-powerful. I mean, the imagery we're given, he's causing deer to give birth, and it's stripping the land bare by his voice. It doesn't matter who you think you are. It doesn't matter how well I'm mic'd up or how loud this gets. No deer's giving birth because I'm shouting. Okay? And nothing is being laid bare because I'm raising my voice. It doesn't matter. That is God, God alone. And then at the end we hear, and in his temple... All that is heard is what? Glory. The Lord sits enthroned forever. And keeping that image in our head, we have the final request from David of the Lord. And what is that? May the Lord give us strength and bless us with peace. So, our strength to endure, to survive, does not come from ourselves. We are equipped and strengthened by the Lord alone. That's where our strength and our hope comes from. 
And from that strength, we can serve him as he calls. And then we can endure to the final eternal blessing of peace. And that is what? Eternal peace in his presence. And that's what we're shooting for. We no longer fear the wrath of the Lord. When others tremble with fear, when they hear the storm, when they see the trees break, we're not afraid. And we can lift our heads in joy to the Lord because of who he is and what we have. I'm glad you've kept with me so far. Nobody's walked out, and that's awesome. So we're going to keep diving a little bit deeper. You ready? We're going to stay in Psalms. Psalm 139. That's where we're going to next. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Some of you might go, what's that have to do with peace? We'll get there. I promise you. It all connects. When we talk about peace, when we think about peace, when, we, when we're contemplating, and if you're like me, where you're going, why does it seem like there's two different pieces talked about, and what are we going with this? We should never forsake or forget the incredible opportunity that we have and we read in this psalm. We can inquire of the Lord in all things. We don't have any barrier between us and the Lord. The veil, the, the curtain has been torn, right? So there's no barrier. Upon our declaration of faith in the atoning work of Christ, when we have accepted the gift He has made available, we have a relationship with the Father, and that relationship is intimate and it is real. We're never alone. We are never left with pain or confusion so deep that He doesn't know it. And one of the most amazing and difficult promises we have is that if we ask him to search us and reveal in us anything that is not in alignment with him, he will. He will search us and he will make it known. We don't have to wonder if we are doing what he calls us to. We can ask him. He will tell us. Prior to the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ, he gave his people prophets, priests, the law, and personal encounters. He made his expectations known. God never judges us by a standard which we ha he hasn't told us of. Do you, do you get that? We don't have to be confused. God will talk to us. And now he's written his word on our hearts. It's personal and it's real. When we struggle, we can call on him, and he will listen and answer. So when we're struggling, and we're talking about peace, don't forget that. Okay, now let's hop over to John. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. As John is recording these words of Jesus to the disciples, we need to remember when we look at John and, and writing his gospel, he, his understanding of the truth that he wrote was Jesus is the Son of God, and it's apparent all throughout his gospel that, that John says Jesus is the Son of God. 
That's an overriding theme. So when we read the first part of the words in 14, 27, it needs to be with the understanding that it's not aligned with the world's thoughts. That's very important. When we hear peace today, what does it mean? Well, it typically means we practice good manners, right? It often stems from the force of habit. That's how you were raised. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir, no, sir. We start emails with dear and end them with sincerely. Whether we hold those people dear or we were sincere in what we said, doesn't matter. That's how we do it. That's good manners. We ask, how are you? To the most casual of acquaintances and our dearest friends alike. And then forget the answer once they leave our sight. Right? We hear of troubles around us and say, I will pray for you. And then neglect to pray for days. We tend to be loose and free with words of blessing and courtesy when we never expect the bill to come due. We use compliments and courtesy as a currency that changes in value depending on who we are speaking to. When we say peace over those we encounter, or as the world does, it's an empty promise, whitewashed. See what I did there? Whitewashed. With supposed value. Okay, That's the world's peace. When Jesus talks of the peace he gives, he reminds us it's not what the world thinks it is. It can't be. So where did he come from? Where did Jesus come from? From heaven, right? He came from heaven. That's where his peace is. That's where his peace originated. And that is the peace that he is promising to us. The peace of heaven, not the peace of this world. The peace of heaven, the peace that exists only in the presence of God. The world's promises that they're promises that it can never hope to provide or fulfill. Whereas Christ promised us a peace that only he could provide from him alone. And it comes from the blood shed on the cross in our stead. He backs his promise of peace in his perfect sacrifice, his eternal priesthood, his complete defeat over death. That's where his peace comes from. That's what it's founded on. And in this, when we talk about the peace that he's, he's referring to, when Jesus promises us peace, his peace, it is complete. We tend to live a life working towards the next milestone, right? We hurry on to the mirage that the world's put forth of contentment and what we should seek for the next promotion, the next movement forward, the next whatever. We're bombarded daily with the thought that you would find your life better if you would only do X, Y, or Z. If you wear this, You'll be cool. Okay? If you follow this person or that, if you like them, if you friend them, if your friends are cool like this, if you're part of this cool group, that's the false hope that the world sells. It's based in self, which means 
it is selfish. Jesus says, you need peace. Jesus says that. You need peace. I will give it to you completely. Total peace. The peace that is eternal. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about what he gives. And regarding another way the world gives, it's never complete. It's never enough. If you have much, eventually someone will come along and take it all away. Cell phones went from being ridiculously expensive and huge. Used to look like old field radios. If you ever watched the first lethal weapon, you're like, he's on a cell phone and it's like bigger than my luggage, right? And then it went to the thinnest and the smallest and the little phone that was like smaller than my ear. And then now it's back to the biggest, best screens with the most stuff, right? It keeps changing. It never ends. And there's always this push to improve, make it better, and tell you what you have is wanting. It's not good enough. When the world introduces you to a product, to something that they, they want you to have, they then follow it up with, well, what we gave you was not our best. You need to get the new and improved version each year, forever, to be the best. It's never enough. And we accept this in many areas. But what an amazing God we serve. When he gives us peace, it is complete. And there is nothing better. It allows us to be without trouble or fear. We can reject all the lies of the world because we know that the peace of God is better. It is complete and it is ours because he gave it. I'm not done. Now let's go to Philippians. We're almost, we're almost back. So Philippians 4, verses 7 through 8, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So this is kind of a, it's not really an aside, but it's something that, that struck me as I was preparing, is when we have the peace of God, we have an imperative to seek to serve and share all of humanity in the manner God calls us to, right? We don't get a pass. We don't get to hide our candle under a bush. Oh, no, I'm going to let it shine. All right, come on. I'm not the only old school who knows that song, right? Okay. To seek and to serve our fellow man, our neighbors, our communities, in any and every way that brings honor and glory to the Lord, we have this opportunity. We have this imperative to serve. And it doesn't have to be a church program. It's another lie of the world that you can only be serving God if you do something sanctioned by and, and led by and paid for and endorsed from the church, okay, or from the, this group together. Look, sometimes people who serve in our communities do so, and they don't know the Lord. Crazy, right? They're still serving. They don't. But when I read these verses in Philippians, when I read it, one thing I was reminded of 
is that we're called to be what in our community? Salt and light. She's listening. She gets a gold star today. To be salt and light in the community implies that we know our community and that our community knows us, right? We have to know our neighbors. We have to get to know them. There's a directive and a freedom that arises when we do this. We can partner with those around us, even if they're not church people, when they are helping others. They may not do it because of Christ in their lives, but we do. We show them the love of Christ when we show them that we love them. When we guard ourselves and our thoughts to always be in alignment with Christ, we see others as Christ does. We begin to see all that we meet, all that we meet as image bearers. We see those destined for eternal separation if they never come into a personal relationship through Christ to the Father, and we hurt. We see humanity in such a way that we begin to become willing to forsake our life for theirs to be ready to give up all we have for their opportunity to know the Lord and to know that it's not in vain. And should we die in that process, we still have peace. That, friends, is a peace that surpasses all worldly understanding. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. And his creation. So let's take a look together at Romans. I told you it was Bible drill day, and we're doing it. So Romans 16, 17 through 20. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. But their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Why do we read that? Okay, we know that the prince of the world is protective of what he assumes he has. And selfishness becomes one of the most efficient and effective tools in Satan's arsenal. If he can encourage us to be selfish, he's winning. We are tempted and potentially swayed by selfish actions and thoughts daily. Selfish, again, is simply can be understood as putting self first. Putting me first of ensuring personal desires are met before others. And the world seeks to inflate and value hollow words and phrases to reinforce selfishness while hiding it under the guise of being right. So, straight up, I have issues at times. I have issues with ego and pride and a few other things. So a good friend counseled me on this very thing not too long ago. In essence, he basically asked me if it was more important for my reputation and ego to be right or aligned with how God called me to be right. Let me tell you, he was pretty gracious 
as he heard my night not my uh, questionable phrasing in response to that question. That's not an easy question to hear. Is it more important for me to be seen as right in the eyes of the world or to be right with God? Where am I going to find that peace? He challenged me. And he was right. I'm not saying I called him a punk or anything like that. But I did follow his advice. And uh, I shared what I did with him so that I could be held accountable. Because in my search for peace, I'm not doing it alone. As you, we search for peace. We're not doing it alone. We shouldn't be doing it alone. And after that, I have peace in that particular situation. Because under the Lord's guidance, my friend was right. My brother was right. It was more important, and true peace is found in the Lord. And the Lord alone. And that's it. He reminded me that I'm accountable to a higher standard. His opinion, and that is God's opinion, of me is the only one that ultimately matters. He is the one that will be judging me. No one else. What's the promise that we can remember as we go through life, as we navigate? That the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. There will be an end to the war between darkness and light. And it ends with the utter destruction of darkness. Okay? So let's jump back to Isaiah, because we can't just keep going forward. Now we've got to go back to Isaiah 53, 5. You've probably heard this before. And if you, anybody familiar with the band Striper? Uh, this is their verse. It's where they came from. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. So when we read that, besides thinking of late 80s hair metal, we know, and Isaiah is telling us, that peace was attained at a significant cost. Was it not? So it's not just ollie, ollie, oxen free. You have peace now. For our sin, Christ was wounded. For our failures, he was crushed. Our deserved wrath of God was placed on him on that cross. And because of that, we have peace. We have peace because of the sacrifice, the atoning blood of Christ given freely to satisfy that deserved wrath towards our sinful and stained existence. That is peace. So now we're back to where we started. Matthew 10. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. As followers of Christ, we will make enemies. Because we are the world's enemy, because the world is marred by sin. It's not that we're seeking to make enemies, okay? We're not going out and smacking, even if they need it. We're not going out and smacking people upside the head saying, get right. We are called to be peacemakers. However, we should never be surprised when we lose friends or are rejected by those around us. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but before peace, what does he bring? War. Where there is light, darkness will be no more. Where there is truth, lies will be no more. If we are friends of the world, we are enemies of God. And he deals with his enemies thoroughly. If we seek the peace of God, we must reject our sinful nature. We must die of self. Nothing unworthy of God will remain in his presence. There is no gray area. There is peace in his presence or eternal separation from him. This is a life or death proposition, one that has eternal consequences. It is too late to decide when we die. And tomorrow is not promised to us. So this war, this war for our eternal resting place is ongoing until the Lord returns. So at the end of the day, when we talk about peace and the peace of the Lord, I pray you know the peace that has been promised to the children of God. If not, I pray that you take up the call and come forward. Come meet with somebody today and place your faith in Jesus Christ, receiving the atonement, the hope brought forth from his work on the cross, thereby declaring yourself an enemy no more and rest in the perfect, eternal, promised peace of God. And Luke 2 tells us, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is blessed. May you know the peace of God today.